0: Um, so um, we're gonna get started. Uh, this is uh, Found Radio episode number six. Today's our uh, Speaker is Brendan Perry, the co-founder of uh, Los Angeles based venture fund uh, Care Capital and uh, um, Brendan, uh, let's kick off by uh, telling a little bit about yourself and then we'll move on to questions.
1: Sounds good Um so just to kind of give you guys a bit of a background on myself um so growing up i was a i was a big exploring kid um i wanted to learn about a bunch of different fields um, i did everything from martial arts to violin to uh, cross-country running uh, even competitive rubik's cube solving in high school um, I went to U of O, where I studied business, joined a fraternity, and I wrote crew for the school. Um, but after my freshman year, I decided I wanted to move back to LA to pursue some business opportunities that were presented to me. Um, and that's where my friend and co-founder uh, Andrew Gare, uh, he and I decided that we wanted to put together a venture capital fund, uh, focusing on funding student-led projects, um, and yeah, we've been doing it now for about six months. We're only invested in one company at the moment, um, but uh, things have been going well.
0: That's cool, and here I'll just jump straight into my first and the main question I would say that I'm curious about the most. Uh, why do you invest solely in uh, students?
1: So when it comes to our investment strategy, we we chose students for two reasons uh one is because we wanted to work with people that are our age who were like-minded in the sense that they didn't want to wait until they finished school to to start a project or they wanted to you know get their foot in the door of some real business opportunities and get real proper experience before they were out of college and we understand that and not only that but also college students present a very unique opportunity in the sense that they're the next generation coming in. They're very knowledgeable about current trends and where things are going. And a lot of them, because they're in college, have a good good education. And uh, because of that, we think that they are going you know, to have great insight into the future of uh, where certain industries are going. And they're going to be the next leaders of industries. So that's why we decided to back them.
0: That's pretty reasonable, but there is like a backside. Uh, college students usually are a little bit... Um, not overvalued, but let's say so immature a little bit. Sometimes, you know, Um, they might think they know a lot, but in fact they are missing a lot of spots and this can hurt the business. Don't you think that like, that's a really serious downside of your strategy?
1: Yeah, that can be a drawback. But again, when it comes to investing in any type of, in any type of company, whether it's led by a student or anyone else, there's always going to be knowledge gaps. And on top of that, there's always going to be things that they know that they need to work on. And there's always going to be that possibility that you're investing in someone who isn't quite as knowledgeable as they say they are. But when it comes to college students, we, we, we really see the true potential that they have with regards to insight and are willing to take on a slightly bigger risk, um, you know, which, which also kind of leads into the next point, which is the fact that when you're investing in a company, you're not only investing in that company, you're also investing in the people that run and operate that company. And having a good team is really important to us, and that's something that we really have to pay close attention to. Is making sure that we find someone who knows a fair amount about the industry, but also at the same time, is also willing to say, "I don't know this, and I need to go work on this."
0: That's that's a good answer. That's really cool. Uh, so um, you're investing in college students, but do you have like a market that you're usually focusing on? Let's say AI or um, I don't know something else.
1: Not at the moment, uh, because we're so early on we're really trying to figure out what our niche is gonna be. We know that we really wanna back college-led programs, but uh, for the most part, right now, uh, we're just kind of looking for good opportunities. Um, it does seem like we're leaning towards uh, people that are you know, really focusing on disrupting industries that haven't really been touched in a while. Um, right now, uh, the only company that we're investing at the moment is a company called Park Place, which basically allows an individual to turn their front lawn into a small parking structure. So if you live in a in a neighborhood that's near something like uh, the Forum or near the Coliseum, and you know that there's going to be big sporting events or big concerts and people don't want to Uber all the way down to the location, they can just drive and they can park at uh, in someone's lawn. And it gives someone that, that opportunity to, to do that. And, and so it, it does seem like at the moment that, that we are kind of leaning towards towards disrupting tech companies. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing is set in stone yet.
0: Actually, a friend of mine who is an investor, too, he invests in the same exact project that the students are working on, uh, um, let's say, renting out some personal parking space in front of the houses next to some big events. It was really cool. What's the name of the company, by the way? I want to check it out. Uh,
1: Park, Park Place. It's 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 phonetic. It's, uh, it's run by a gentleman named Ethan Glass, who was uh, a recent college, oh, technically a recent college grad, but um, he uh, he really decided to take a different path after he left Occidental College. And rather than going and taking up a proper job opportunity, he really wanted to pursue this. And so we were more than happy to back him.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I love, I love the idea. So speaking of the, the fact that two investors that I know are investing in this same kind of project. Do you think there is like some trend in Los Angeles right now?
1: I, I don't want to say that there's necessarily a trend in the, in the local area, but I think what's definitely happening is, you know, th- this, this market is something that think about it. You really have to do some hardcore guerrilla style marketing and go door to door knocking on everyone's houses and, and say, would you be interested in, in trying this? And a lot of them are hesitant at first. They're like, oh, really, do I want to let someone park on my freshly mown grass? But then when you say to them, oh, well, you'll probably make $1,000 today, um, you know, then people start getting interested.
0: That makes sense too. Uh, so you said that you're, one of the approaches is guerrilla marketing. So uh, what's the approach that you're taking? Are you forcing uh, your startups to make sales or- right in the beginning? Are you like following the link startup model or are you just letting the founders do whatever they think is most useful?
1: Well, we, we, we kind of have this uh, mentality, which again, nothing is set in stone. We're so early stage, but we kind of like the idea of investing in college student projects, but we do want to find some projects that are either really close to revenue or already producing revenue. And in this case, with regards to Park Place, they are already starting to generate revenue and because of that we had no problem investing in them and they're they're it's it's a very simple business model and and um yeah that's that's our position yeah Yeah, the simplicity sounds
0: really like a good point here um so since you invest only in one startup in six months why uh, let me ask why do you ask uh why do you invest only in one startup in so much time
1: Well, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes to student-led projects, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with regards to knowledge gaps and whether or not the person has a bigger ego than they're letting off. And so we do like to do proper due diligence when it comes to looking at investing in a company. And, you know, like I said, my partner and I ourselves are not super experienced in this field. And so we do have a lot of advisors that we like to have come on board and and vet the individuals that we're looking at and vet the companies you know check out their stack making sure that everything's being done properly and legally um and you know because of that we like to take our time um we really think that investing because we don't have a significant amount of capital meaning something like 30 million dollars we don't see ourselves investing in more than five to six companies and so taking our time is something that we really want to try to do and making sure that we're investing in companies that we really think have a great chance of succeeding in the future.
0: Yeah, that's a really valid response. Uh, so uh, you said to do you're making a real precise due diligence, let's say so, uh, so how, how is the process going? Can you go into detail a little bit
1: more? Sure, so the process that we usually go through is I start by either getting their pitch deck or I'll sit down with, uh, with the person. Um, because we're not doing too, too many meetings, because we're very careful about you know, which ones we really spend time on, um, face-to-face meetings are quite frequent um, and, and they don't take up too, too much time. But um, usually I like to sit down with them. I like to hear a little bit about the founder and their background, and then hear about what they're doing with the company and where they're thinking about heading in the near future. Um, and then I, after I vet them in the idea, then I usually bring on a tech advisor uh, to take a look at what they're doing structurally, see if the host that they're using is, is good or seeing if um, there's certain things that they need to work on and correct. Um, and once they, they kind of pass that second phase, then uh, the main investor in the fund, uh, Andrew, he will join me and we'll go and have either a sit down or dinner or drink something like that with them and then he'll vet them and once we get past that phase then we just have a few other people that will send them a list of questions and uh you know then we make our call
0: mm-hmm. got it got it okay uh by the way people uh if you want to ask something just type your question in and uh i'll just announce it hello um okay so uh That's my other question okay? So you were based in Los Angeles. Why didn't you move to uh, San Francisco? That's like uh, not the main question, but very often discussed. San Francisco is like the capital of startup world. Why did you decide to stay in Los Angeles?
1: Well, we think that there are plenty of investing opportunities in San Francisco. I don't disagree with you there, but you know there aren't a lot of funds based here in LA that are willing to invest in a lot of well-educated college students down here. And we do do a lot of trips up to San Francisco, so it's not like we're completely disconnected from that realm of the world. Um, but you know, both of us grew up here, meaning me and my partner, and we do want to do our due diligence here and look for opportunities here because we're based here, and it just makes the most sense. Um, but we, our connection with San Francisco and traveling up there is something we frequently do, so it's not like we're completely out of the loop.
0: Got it, got it. so uh, the next question is, uh, where do most of your, uh, like how do people reach out to you? Or do you sometimes even reach out to them by yourself? So how do you find your potential investees? Uh, I don't know how to say that properly.
1: Yeah, so the, we, we have a plethora of ways that we do it. Um, the, the biggest one right now is really just us going to events and meeting people face to face. And they'll typically refer projects to me, uh, sending me pitch decks or something like that. Um, and the reason why it's, it's it's very hands-on at the moment is because we're so early on. Um, but you know, as we will slowly progress, I'm sure that will become a little bit more hands-off and I'll just start uh, getting pitch decks. Um, but I don't see myself, um, at least for the next few months, um, stopping going to events and really trying to just meet as many founders and entrepreneurs as I can.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's usually the path that most venture capital take. Uh, so, um, when you meet founders who are actually willing to raise capital, uh, do they make some common mistakes? I'm, I'm sorry, you um, cut out
1: there. Could you say that one more time?
0: <coughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes when you meet founders face to face, are there any like common mistakes that they are making
1: or? Um, it's it's really funny you you know some some of the big mistakes that 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 i meet that will, some of the most common mistakes that i see are actually ones that are you know the big points that you know most vcs will tell you to stay away from and one of the big one is going to a vc and saying i need you to pay me this much say for example say, say i'm an entrepreneur and i come to you and i say you know i want you to invest uh, half a million dollars in my company in exchange for X amount of equity or with a convertible debt, note, however they decide to do it. And they show you a breakdown of what they're going to do with that investment. And you take a look at it and you realize, whoa, $50,000 is going away to a salary. Now I know that sounds, you know, absurd when you think about it because they're asking for, you know, one tenth of the investment to be basically pocketed. Um, but that's something that you don't want to do to a VC. You don't want to show them the breakdown for for the investment. And you don't want to have on there, I'm going to be paying myself. That's something that VCs will kind of walk away from because then they think, oh, you just want an investment as a cash grab. And that's that's honestly one of the biggest things that I see when I'm talking to people who want an investment. Um, I've had more than a few people come to me and ask for, uh, you know, during capital raises and 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 they've said yeah, I need a significant amount of this to be able to pay off my bills and whatnot. And I make it clear to them, well, I'm not investing in paying your bills. I'm investing in your company. So don't think I'm going to give you an investment now knowing that you're going to be pocketing a big chunk of the money I'm giving you.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty stupid mistake, which some founders actually do. Yeah. Which sucks. Um, so, quick uh, let me think people, uh, does anyone have any questions to Barry, Brendan, sorry, someone's typing, while they're typing, I want to ask you, uh, so how do investors, oh, I mean, not investors, but founders, stand out to you, so, like, are there any cases that you actually, like, remember, remember really hard, it, like, something really special?
1: Um, I think the best one from the, I don't have any specific examples that come to mind, but, um, the thing that really stands out to me is someone who has a good idea. Um, someone who can really identify a problem in a market or a problem that we can now solve with modern technology. And, uh, you know, that's something that really appeals to me, especially college students that are already thinking about that. Because, you know, like I said, those forward-thinking college students are going to be the leaders of industry and you know, hearing someone that's like-minded with regards to thinking about where things are going, where current trends are going, and what technology could do for current industries. You know, that's something I really admire, and that's something that really sticks to me.
0: Got it, got it. Okay, so um, the next question then would be...
2: Uh, Hey, guys, can, can I have some questions? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so my first question about the NDA form, how often do you sign with startups, and, like, how does this process go with you? And uh, second question, if if you work just with students or with people who just quit the college and do their startups, like the the age, do you have the age preference or like
1: something like this? Uh, So I'll I'll answer the second part first. So um, the the working terms that we're coming up with right now are you have to have either been in college, been enrolled or have graduated college within the last year in order to be Qualified to to work with us, um, and I'm sorry. What was the first what was the first part again? Uh, the first part
2: was about the NDA form.
1: Oh but... yes, okay. So with with regards to NDAs, we don't typically uh, get that many. At least I haven't. Um, I'm sure I'm sure they'll come in the future. Um, I know I, I've I, you know I've. I've worked with uh, some of my friends who have had startups before, and I know some of them have done NDAs when they pitched VCs um, and angel investors. But uh, at the moment, I actually haven't had anyone come to me and say, I want you to sign this in order to take a look at the possible investment.
2: Okay, I got it. So thank you. Actually, speaking of NDA, I have a question Uh,
0: for me. People who are asking to sign an NDA are just, uh, it's just weird why would they do that? Uh, Do you think that actually would scare you away? So if someone comes up to you and says, before I show you the presentation, can you sign an NDA, would you do that?
1: I would have no problem signing an NDA. And obviously I'd want my lawyer to vet the document first, but I think when it comes to intellectual property, I think doing everything you can to protect that, especially if it's a really, really great idea, I think having an NDA there just shows that they have confidence in their idea and that shows to me that they are willing to put certain initiative in that someone who just wants to make money wouldn't.
0: Yeah, reasonable. I know for me it's quite scary but anyways, uh, so most of the people here are actually founders uh, working at the early stage. Would you give like some advice for them in case in terms of fundraising?
1: Sure. Um, I think obviously something that we talked about earlier is number one, do not go in there and say, I want you to pay me a salary. Um, That is going to turn a bunch of heads. People are just going to walk away. Um, The next thing is make sure that you have a very, very clear point on what your idea and the function of the company is, because if an an investor can't thoroughly understand and see how what you're doing is disrupting a market or creating its own new market, an investor is likely just going to step away. Also, make sure that you really understand the market that your investor is investing in. Don't go to someone who's investing in tech and say, "I want you to fund my coffee shop." Um, and I know this this seems like a very basic thing to to, to tell to an entrepreneur, but you'd be surprised at how many people have come to me and tried to pitch me for something that is just not at all in my um, in my 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 field. So, um, I, th- I think besides those. Um, you know, making sure that you're coming across as someone who is proud of their idea but also not cocky is really important. Managing the way that you present yourself is something that um, is very much respected by people who who have the money to invest in companies. Um, and yeah, you know, I think I, I, I think I think making sure you present yourself well. Don't ask for money that's that's gonna be just funding your day-to-day life and then making sure that, you know, you have a clear, clear clear-cut way to present your idea are honestly the best things to just focus on.
0: Got it. Um, Okay, so Sunil just made uh, four questions actually. (laughs) Um, So he says, uh, with regards to salary of founders as an investor, do you prefer founders, one, uh, draw a salary that minimizes personal expense, to? work on the startup that part-time and make money through another job three wait until the founder can support themselves for some period of time or four show the founder uh that can get money from friends and family so like which of the four types do you prefer
1: so with with regards to the way that we've invested so far i don't really have a preference because the company that i'm investing at the moment is already generating revenue and i know that's how our founder is currently sustaining himself Um, uh, with regards to to this setup, I think that number one would probably be the best is making sure that if the founder is gonna is gonna come and say I need some amount for salary, that they're they're really not coming and saying anything more than I think thirty thousand would probably be the maximum that someone should even bother saying in in an investment pitch in a pitch deck, because if they're saying anything more, then they are living far beyond the basic the, the basic minimum that they really need to survive. And because of that, that's showing that someone is willing to take more resources out of a company than they really need to, um, because they look at it as a way to generate revenue and not something that's going to be, you know, changing the world in the future or, you know, some mentality along those lines. Um, and so with regards to your question, I think number one is probably the way I'd like to see it laid out.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, That sounds reasonable, really. Uh, So actually I was curious myself, how does uh, uh, the relationship between other investors in the startup environment work? So do you like have close relationships with them or are are they like arguing for deals? Uh, How does this work?
1: Um, I haven't clashed any heads with any other VCs or or any other friends who work in in, uh, finance, but um, one, one thing that I, that I can't say is if an investor finds something that is totally out of their field and they really see potential for another fund to invest in it, they'll throw it the other way. Um, I've had a few people send me investment opportunities that were presented to them that they thought would be great for our fund because they're you know, started by a college student or a recent college grad or there's someone that I think uh, I would get along with or something along those lines. Um, so it really just depends on the investor, what type of relationship they're going to have with other investors, um, whether or not they're going to, you know, treat venture capital, like a hedge fund with the same kind of, uh, football mentality. Um, but, um, yeah, it really just depends on the individual.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, um, during my own time, we so, uh, I was thinking about, uh, uh, format of the founder's radio and i thought to cut it down to 30 minutes so it's more dense and like more useful information so here we will wrap it up if no one else
2: has any more questions and uh, okay i have i have some questions sure uh so can you explain a little bit more about financial um not the document one second how called this i forgot sorry um when the, you ask the startup about like why uh they need money and how they would like to spend. It's supposed to be official document, or they can, you just talk with them how they will spend money. How this financial document supposed to looks like, in, or even if you need them, because like uh, especially in my case, like I'm not sure that we're fitting in your uh, VC, but uh, my general question: Should I focusing to? write it down this financial model and everything how we will spend this money because even in our point right now we should focus on uh, to finish our product like our app and then release this for basically the clients and if i will write down everything like you know for every each dollars is it probably not worth the time to do this because anyway something can happen and it's not fit in financial model
1: so I think having a financial model laid out that, you're, that is able to be updated frequently is, is, pro- is important when it comes to operating your business. But uh, when it comes to pitching an, an investor, um, I think it's important that the person that comes to me, number one, is very knowledgeable on their current financial situation. And they don't need a document laid out in front of them in order to say, Oh, these are my situation. This is the situation with regards to what we need for our marketing budget. This is what we have with regards to being able to uh, pay for our hosting, um, being able to pay for our back end and front end, uh, developers, you know, making sure that there's the person who's the CEO comes to us and understands their financials is really important. Um, but also when it comes to laying it out, it's, it's, it's important that you also have a document uh, on hand because an investor might just want to sit there and, and have you know just a straight up conversation about it, but they also might want to say, okay, why don't you leave me with um, uh, you know, a proper Excel sheet that shows your current breakdown of what your expenses have been and what you think your projected expenses are going to be in the next six months or through the next two quarters. Um, So really, it's just making sure that you understand your financials and also have just some clean layout that uh, an investor can easily interpret. Um, Yeah. Okay, thank you. And my other question
2: for startups, uh, how much money they have to have on their account, like, you know, on next six months or for one year? Because I just finished, like, YC uh, startup online school. And they said, like, if you have uh, money just for the next six months, you basically in, like, so tricky situation that you can basically be a bankruptcy. So can you explain a little bit more about this situation? Even when startup try to find the money, how they should count for the for which period, like for one year, for two years, for six months, for three months or like for specific stuff? Like, can you explain a little bit more about it?
1: So, so you mean, how should they be accounting for future, yeah. meaning past six yeah. months and short-term? Yeah. Term?
2: And like, you know, for how long, basically, just for example, right now we should finish our, our app, like, and we need money for the next three months or two months just for finish this app. And I'm not counting, like, the money for the, like, six months. Basically, we need about, like, 100K or about 300K for right now. But in general, like, for next year we need like about $1 million, this just for example. And should I tell this for investors why we need like $200,000 or we need $1 million because we will work like next year and we
1: don't have to worry about any financial situation anymore. So I think this really goes back to what I was saying earlier with regards to how investors uh, are going to invest in your company. So with regards to the way that we invest, uh, we usually start out with doing a convertible debt note and the reason why we do that is going back to what we were talking about earlier about you know not knowing the college student not knowing what their behavior is going to be like in the future this kind of gives us an out so that we're not stuck with giving them money and knowing that now we just have a stake in a company that may or may not be run by someone who really knows what they're talking about um, and because of that um, you know we we don't really need to know about to long term financials, we need to know a little bit more short term, because if we're going to give a convertible debt note, we want to make sure that we're getting paid back as quickly as possible, so that we can make another decision in the near future as to whether or not they handled that, uh, that capital properly. Um, So when it comes to us, we typically initially like to just see some short term maybe a year in the future, uh, with regards to projections on how much, uh, you know, cash they're going to be burning. Uh, but when it comes to doing our second investment, which is typically uh, a Series of A investment, we typically do like to look a little bit more long-term, looking at the next two or three years based on current growth models, where they think they're going to be and how much capital they're really going to need to be burning in you know, six, seven months from now. Um, so I think it really just depends on the investor and knowing how it is that they typically invest in companies. and um how far ahead do they like to look depending on the type of investment they want do they want a convertible debt node or do they just want to do a straight equity deal
2: okay i got it no this is this basically what, what i want to hear yeah because i know when the series a they start focusing like long term yeah okay thank you sure
0: so Sunil so submitted another question uh, saying, uh, with regards to the intellectual property, you're unique amongst investors and being willing to sign an NDA. Uh, do you recommend startups pursue patent pr- protections or try to find investors willing to sign an NDA?
1: Um, I really think that that just depends on the stage of your company. Um, but I do, I do think that making sure that you have proper intellectual property protection, is really important when it comes to, um, to certain companies and in certain industries. Um, but, but I think my opinion is, is, is this. Seeing it on a business plan is something good. It's reassuring because you know, it reduces your risk of getting major competition in the near future. But also at the same time, um, it, 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 it might be a poor allocation of resources because there might be certain markets that you really need to focus on breaking into right now and spending time on on, on trying to get patent protection, especially at such an early stage, might be not the best thing to do, Um, might not be the best allocation of resources. So it really just depends deal to deal, um, depending on the startup and depending on the industry and the idea. All
0: right, Um, thanks for your response.
2: And if uh, someone has any questions, Oh my no, I have some question, but I don't know, like uh this is more specific about your VC. Are you really strict with your rules like, that the people should just finish like or whatever, like college and drop like in the last year, or are you open for some opportunity to spoke with other startups and so on, like
1: um well, obviously it's my job to make sure that I per that I make a return for my investors. And um, because of that, if I see an opportunity come across the table that is just too good to pass up, Um, I will give it some serious thought to think about breaking our current terms of engagement between us and and a company um, with regards to our criteria. But um, for the most part, uh, we typically just stick to uh, college students or people who have recently graduated.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: All right. Um, If you have any more questions, that's the right time to ask them since we're
2: wrapping up. I have just only one question. I would (laughs) like to talk a little bit more further, like about just specific my project, like if you're interested and just one, maybe if you have time to give me some feedback and so on. But I would love to do this. But this, besides this, I don't have any more questions. I can
0: leave. Uh, Brendan's uh, contact information uh, through uh, OpenLens here, and you can message him directly.
1: Okay, all, thank uh, you. I'll type my email right now, just so that okay, you, know all you guys that can have it. All right, awesome.
0: While Brendan is having his email, uh, I'll just say uh, thanks everyone for coming in today. Thank you, Brendan, for uh, being a speaker today. Uh, I've heard some really interesting information, uh, and I hope that our listeners enjoyed it too. Um, so uh, thanks everyone for joining in uh, our next founders radio will be next weekend as usually and uh that is it thank you everyone for joining and have a good weekend
1: thank you so much have a good one you guys